What's going on? I'm Josh Hoffman. And I'm Ilan Benor, coming to you from the Google Startups campus in Tel Aviv. On this episode, we are joined by Ari Yablok. By day, Ari is the head of branding for a high-tech branding and marketing agency. And by night, Ari is a clinical therapist with a background in cognitive behavioral therapy and psychotherapy. Enjoy our sit-down interview with the one and only Ari Yablok. Welcome to Turn Up Tel Aviv, where we take you inside the lives of Tel Aviv's most interesting people and personalities. For more shows and other original content about the lifestyle, culture, and people of Tel Aviv, check out TelAvivPresents.com. Okay, guys, let's get the show on the road. So full disclosure, I used to be a client of Ari's, and I used the word client and not patient for a reason, because one of the things that really attracted me to Ari's style and method is that he takes a very business-like approach to therapy, to rehabilitation, to self-help and exterior help from somebody like himself. And so, Ari, thanks for joining us. But before we get into, you know, psychotherapy and cognitive behavioral therapy and all that good stuff, tell us about your background. I'm originally from New Jersey, and I made an aliyah to Israel around... Uh, almost 10 years to the day uh, and I've been here for 11 years and uh, I'm here with my wife and uh, five kids I know that's a number that uh, surprises um, um, some people um, but we're enjoying ourselves here and uh, I've had kind of an interesting journey my uh, my education is therapy I have a master's degree in social work uh, I've been practicing as a therapist for eight nine years already now and but I do a lot of other things actually during the day I uh, I'm a head of brand messaging for a high-tech branding and marketing company uh, I'm a musician uh, that plays uh, music on the side live music um, and I teach at uh, Bar-Ilan University as well so uh, there are a lot of different sides to me I guess my first question is five kids you play music you're a therapist by night. You're a brand marketer by day. How do you have enough time in the day for all these different things? Um, the short answer is ask my wife because <laughs> uh, uh, it, it is a lot of hours that I'm doing lots of different things. I think I was just always meant to be doing lots of different things. I never liked just the cubicle nine to five to show up in my briefcase. That wasn't ever for me. Um, I think it's being very economical with your time. Uh, part of it in this country is you got to hustle. It's like a country full of hustlers, full of startup entrepreneurs, whether they're in business or just in their own lives, just, you know, uh, trying to make it happen. And I kind of attached to that mentality here and said there are a lot of opportunities, not just where I am, but really this time to be alive, 2019. There are just a lot of opportunities out there and it's a matter of recognizing them and uh, and going after it. Um, so... Any free few hours in my week I have, I think, how could I be spending that meaningfully? What kind of opportunity could I be taking advantage of? And there's no shortage. It's interesting to me that you come from a therapy background and, and your day job and what you do after work are very almost polar opposites. Do you see any parallels between brand messaging and what you do in clinical therapy? Yeah, so there they're certainly very different fields uh one is trying to sell things the other is trying to help people um it, it's quite different and at the same time the idea of a brand um is very very connected to the world of mental health and to the world of 
people trying to live better lives because branding is about self-identification. It's not about, um, you know, what you can do and, and what kind of benefits. It's really who you are. In the world of business, it's a company, who you are as a company, and and by, by extension, how others, specifically customers, perceive you to be. And as people, a lot of what we do depends on our perception of who we are or what we're capable of or what we're not capable of. So many people walk around in their lives not trying things because they assume I can't or I will not succeed and therefore I shouldn't take advantage of any sort of opportunity or even utilize my God-given talents because of a certain perception I have. And I think when you deconstruct a, a company and then build it as a brand, which is what I am lucky to be involved in with some amazing uh, companies here in Israel and abroad, you begin to realize, hey, what if we did that for people? What if we deconstructed a person and said, okay, what are you? What kind of things are you about? What values do you have? And then how, you go, how do you go about actualizing that and communicating that to the people around you? You'd find that maybe your identity is much more or much greater than the way you think it is right now. So the parallels are actually striking. That's a great point. And I think my follow-up question would be, how can we, as people, how can we personally learn from brands that we identify with? I think the word I mentioned before to answer that previous question was values. I think if you, th- if you think of companies that really strike you as, as attractive, as different, as amazing, uh, it's because they have crystal clarity on what their values are. What I believe in and how I go about surrounding or, or how I bring those values out from inside in an all-encompassing way, in every way we communicate, in every way we display our products or our services. People don't just see a product or service, they see what we believe in. Um, you know, you could think of a company like North Face. North Face sells clothes, you know, so does uh, Oshkosh Bagash or any other brand. They both sell clothes. But North Face sells this value of exploring the world, of daring yourself, of challenging yourself to climb new heights. And you attach yourself when you put on that really overpriced fleece, you attach yourself to their values, not to their clothes. And I think we as people in general are searching for a value system. Whether we like it or not, we might you know, go after what we enjoy or what makes us uh, comfortable or what gives us pleasure or what or, or, or any sort of our relationships anything but what matters most to us is what is what we believe in and uh, that's something we could take from good brands brands that recognize what they believe in and make it a part of their entire culture aside from north face are there any other brands that inspire or influence you personally um there's a brand that people love to talk about here in uh, israel in tel aviv called lemonade have you heard of them? Insurance. Uh, so many companies that we work with in, in the branding and marketing company, they're like, "Can you make me into lemonade?" Because they're taking a company, they're taking an industry that could not be more boring in terms of what they're offering. It's you pay us to hopefully not ever use us for anything, <laughs> um, and to many it seems like a scam, and it's just people in suits collecting money and trying to negotiate how to keep it. Uh, and they made it friendly and they made it about the customer and they made it about helping you. And they did that uh, by totally redefining what it means to be an insurance company. And I think 
it kind of shows the potential if we're going to draw parallels again to you think something has to be a certain way because that's how it's perceived that's how people have always thought of it and you simply can add a new perspective and it could totally open up for you and we think you know people of a of a certain i don't know a certain ethnicity or a certain uh way of life have to be a certain way or or born in a certain uh location or the socioeconomic uh, class have to be a certain way or, or even born with certain challenges whether they're mental challenges physical challenges any sort of challenge think i have to be a certain way you attach a different perspective to those same set set of challenges and you can really transform yourself into something else so you know we've talked about off air that there's kind of two groups of people that could could appeal to therapy could appeal to self-help whatever you want to call it in the 21st century you have the first group of people which is kind of my back's against the wall i'm in survival mode i'm desperate i don't know what to do i'm you know about to blow up type of thing and those people are just struggling to survive just to get back on any sort of track but then you have sort of a bigger group of people that are certainly surviving they're going about their day-to-day they're 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 okay on the surface at least but they're not thriving, right? And that's the difference that you like to talk about, surviving versus thriving. What are you, what's your message to that second group of people, the group of people that is probably less inclined to reach out to somebody like yourself or one of your contemporaries? What's your message to them? And what are some of the things that they might not expect to get from somebody like yourself? Uh, it's a great question. And it's really like the heart of what I'm passionate about right now as a therapist. And if, by the way, you have a better word uh, to replace therapist, I'm searching for it because that's kind of part of the issue. When we think of therapy, we think of a person going through uh, a dark illness who is incapable of being a productive member of society and is turning to medical help, uh, and in this case, psychological help, to diagnose and treat that problem the way a person with a broken arm would go to a doctor to treat that problem and get it fixed and we tend to not think of people like you said surviving their lives as people in need of help and the truth is in the world we live in which is much more complex yes there's much more comfort and by the way that's kind of part of the problem there's much more comfort and much more opportunity than there's ever been it's much more complicated much more fast-paced for your brain it's much more challenging to get through this version of history than previous ones. And we can assume, like we have been, that as long as you're not, you know, falling apart, as long as you're waking up and getting out of your bed, then you're okay. But the reality is it's just not that way. And we look at, you know, mental health services, which again, you hear those words and you automatically think only if you're crazy or only if you're falling apart. But we think of those things as, as uh, treatments for diagnosable problems. And I think we have to approach this differently. Um, people who are surviving, like you said, are still not at a state of thriving. But because they're surviving, they think of themselves as, I don't have problems to the degree that I need to seek help for them. I just simply need to get on with my problems and try and work them out the way everyone else does. Uh, so many times I've had clients that have gone through several sessions with me and upon finishing our work together have said this has been so great i i have a roommate who's like going through similar things but wouldn't even fathom coming for help 
and I'm so happy I decided I need help. And it's I could I can't count on my hand how many times that happens, because there are certain people who they they decide I have a problem I need to get it fixed, and so many other people are in the exact same situation, but don't don't decide that they're in a situation that they could get help, that they could su- get support to allow them to thrive. And I think that's the mindset shift that I would love to be a part of uh, changing in people's minds where I don't need to have a broken leg to go to a doctor, so to speak. I need to be in a state where I can get more out of my life to, to try and access the resources I need to get more out of my life. That's the only prerequisite at this point. And I'm hoping uh, what we what I'm doing here and through the people that I'm meeting and the opportunities that I get that I could spread that message. What's fascinating to me is is you're taking the word mental health and you're now calling it mental wealth, which is more of back to the thriving and no longer surviving. But it seems that you're what you're saying is that, again, these aren't problems that people have. It's just kind of the way we're wired as humans and everyone sort of, I guess, needs someone to talk to. What are some of the main issues that the, the your clients, the people you work with, what are they seeking or what are they dealing with? What are they seeking help for? So um, it's a great question. Um, because there's certainly a textbook problem that so many people deal with today. And statistically, it's uh, you get four people in a room, one to two of them are struggling with major depression or anxiety, whether it's an actual disorder or it's an episode that can come and go. Um, and whether it's diagnosable, and what I mean by diagnosable, meaning it is it is affecting them to the extent that they can't be productive anymore in day-to-day activity, or it's simply right underneath the surface, which means stress and anxiety can build up to the point where they might get through a day, but they are only barely getting through a day, and they call that reality. Um, That is what I, I see over and over again, people barely getting through their day. But because it's happening so often, people just assume that's just the way it is. But beyond that, um, and like Josh and I were talking about uh, off the air, there's a certain group of people that I tend to deal with a lot, which is people that have relocated to where we live uh, in Israel. But uh, this is true with people that relocate anywhere, whether it's for a job, whether it's uh, to a different state or even a different country. Um, When people relocate, their identity changes. They're no longer, you know, with the home team. They, they, They need to adapt in ways that they didn't even know they had to when they were living in a place that they were comfortable with. And for some, that means learning a new language, which obviously is a challenge unto itself. And, uh, you know, in Israel, we are there a lot of services set up to learn a new language. Uh, It's the culture, uh, the culture, uh, understanding slang and understanding, uh, um, and you know, what people do with their free time and things like that. But something even more interesting than that, and, and again, this isn't something that people tend to think of, I need to get help for, and this is something I'm trying to change. When you go to a place where you're, quote-unquote, a foreigner, um, where you when you relocate, you tend to need a lot of help just to go through day-to-day activity. You tend to need to be a, a taker uh, by default. You need to ask for directions. You need to ask, um, you know, where's the nearest dry cleaners? <laughs> You need to ask, like, is there a good dentist in the area? Where do people go shopping? What's the nightlife like? Everyone else seems to have the answer but you. And that does something to you. 
when you when you become someone who needs to take more than they give, it, it puts you in a position of inferiority. It might turn you into someone who feels that they can't contribute as much as they thought they could. And the truth is, it doesn't matter where you are, you can still contribute a lot. Uh, it's just a matter of locating what aspects of your or recognizing what aspects of you can be helpful to others. And with some skills, some skill building and some services that you get from other people and help and support from the community can quickly flip that script to turn you into someone who can be an excellent contributor. Uh, for me personally, um, I'm in a new environment where the speaking language is not predominantly English. And my advantage now became that I could speak English and I could write English in a way that most people or everyone else in my branding and marketing agency can't and they needed me and I'm that guy for them so I that that's an example of how I turn something where I'm inferior I don't know the language and I turn that into an advantage by being the guy who has that foreign skill by being an English speaker um, and now I'm a contributor because I'm not a local and that's something that we could repeat and we could identify in many different ways you know I think you're in a position where you're helping people discover things about themselves, discover their capabilities, discover just how you said, how you can go from being a taker to a giver, especially in a foreign place. But what are some of the things that you've learned through your clients about life, about dealing with stress or depression, about, about dealing with being a foreigner, about dealing with day-to-day -day stuff that sometimes we take for granted? That's a great question. Um, I think one of the first things that comes to mind when you say that is the word community. Um, I think a lot of people consider themselves completely self-sufficient as long as they are successful in their personal lives, whether that means the academics or their career. If they're getting through a day just fine, then that's the definition of success. And more and more I've heard from clients and not clients alike that there's still something missing, that they're missing a sense of community. And I don't think this is a local challenge. I think this is a global challenge challenge. I have very close friends of mine in my neighborhood that recently moved out of the community because they just didn't feel connected enough to where they were. And they were surrounded by great friends and they were surrounded by, you know, neighbors and, and people that they felt close to. But for some reason, it still didn't feel like they belonged to a community. And that's something that maybe people could mistake as kind of an added bonus to their life. And I've heard because of the people in pain that have come to me for help saying, I'm not necessarily uh, going under, but I just feel alone. I just feel like I, I don't have a group of people or a location that I could call my own. And if I did, I feel like there would be so much more in my life that I could enjoy. Um, and that was fascinating because I think often when you think of mental health, you think of one person and their brain. And if you could fix that brain, <laughs> then so to speak, then you've done your job. And it's just a lot more complicated than that. No one person is dealing with one person's issues. It, it, it's a web. It goes way beyond that. And if you can try and uh, tend to not just the person on the inside, but every part of them that they want to uh, fulfill in their life, then I think you could get somewhere here with mental health. You hit a really interesting point here where... Um we find a lot of meaning in life from being givers and not takers. And it seems that a lot of that comes from amplifying and sharing our strengths with others. Do you have any advice you can give 
for people to find their strengths and how they can showcase them in a, in a positive way? Um, yeah, I, uh, I could think of some ideas. Um, the first, the first piece of advice I would give is to think unconventionally about your strengths. Um, conventionally, we think of our strengths as what do I have a degree in? What was I trained in? Uh, what do people who are successful, what do they do that makes them successful? Um, whether it's them, you know, creating some new technology or selling a product or uh, helping a lot of other people, you know, in a conventional way. And we, we define or limit, you know, strengths to those things that the world has defined as strengths. The example that I gave you before of my strength being my my mother tongue that was a strength that i assumed was had nothing to do with what made me interesting or different because when i grew up speaking english everyone around me spoke english and i think the very same thing can apply um to other people i'll give you a great example a great one you guys know that i'm a religious jew so uh and i made this transition into this world of branding and marketing um, outside of community work, I did work a lot with students in university, and then I transitioned to this world of tech and content and branding. And a lot of people since then, particularly like teachers, religious leaders, have approached me saying, how do you do that? I want to do that also. I want to go take a different direction in my career, but I don't know what I'm good at, or I don't think I'm good at anything. I don't have that resume that people are looking for. And I said, so wait, so you've been teaching or you've been leading community, which means you've been dealing very closely, interpersonally, with people, managing entire groups of people. You've been curating content and formatting it in an interesting, engaging way so that they would absorb it and interact with it. And you've done that over and over again for years. And you're saying you don't have the skills necessary to go into a field like marketing or content. You've been freaking doing that <laughs> every day for years and yet they thought of themselves as i teach i don't write content and all you need to do is reframe the skills that you're doing in one area and try and see how they could translate somewhere else and suddenly you're an expert and that's only one tiny example and it's something that i had to realize myself no one really told me that i had to say okay what can i do and it goes back to the beginning of recognizing opportunities what can i do for people and then you begin to realize you have a lot more strengths than anyone on any degree ever wrote down and told you you have. I love that. You know, one of the things, Ari, that you talk about a lot within the mental health versus mental wealth debate is what you call mental currency. Tell us more about what you mean by that. Um, yeah. So I like to think of mental wealth as similar to trying to balance your own budget, trying to be successful financially. Uh, not, not necessarily rich beyond your wildest dreams, but comfortable, stable, productive, um, really free with your financial status. That same mentality I like to apply to the world of mental health. And they intersect very conveniently with the words mental wealth. And mental currency is essentially what we use our mental en energy for. Um, so we can use it for things that are productive. Um, and one of those things, probably the best thing is giving because, um, giving is something where it looks like it's a net minus. 
uh, at least financially. It's a net minus, tax reimbursement notwithstanding. <laughs> but there is something on, on a psychological level that is so fulfilling about giving that it almost it's immediately reimbursed, immediately. And usually you get like a 20% kickback. And the way we choose to use mental currency, a lot of times we're very... Uh, we don't pay careful attention to what we place our mental energy in, the way we spend it. And it's not just time, but it's focus, it's attention, that we tend to, to use a lot of mental currency on things that are not aligned with our values and only a small amount when we feel like we're low on energy to the things that we care about. And it's no secret that if you do that, you'll feel strapped for mental cash. You feel like I'm running out of money. I feel like I'm running out of mental energy to the things I care about. And it's really because... We just haven't decided or haven't paid close enough attention to how we're spending that mental energy. So many people are saying, okay, family first, family first. And then there's a small amount of time. And I, don't, I shouldn't even call time. A small amount of quality attention paid to family. And then we feel like, ah, I wish I had more time for family. A great example is that, that I struggle with. A lot of times bedtime for my kids is the most quality time I have with my kids during the day because I'm, like I mentioned, doing anywhere between one and four jobs in a day. And I could spend that bedtime saying, okay, come on, bedtime, I got to go. And then I would have taken that time that I could have been spending that quality attention with my kids and spent it on the things I have to be doing later tonight or tomorrow. And that mental currency was spent not in that room with those kids, but on the meetings or on the, the stuff I need to go do later that night. And we could easily flip that as long as we align it with our values to make sure we're spending very carefully and very productively that mental currency. It's interesting you you make this analogy of um, investing sort of uh, mental currency. Because when I, when I think of investments, I always think of long-term um, returns. Mm -hmm. Now, when, when people are looking to make immediate changes in their happiness, their their health. What, what's the timeline look like for these processes? Are these Can these be quick changes or are these things that we need to invest in now for health in our future? Um, I think the answer is you, you need a plan. Um, and that plan doesn't only include short term and that plan doesn't only include long term. Um, the same way coming back to the same analogy the same way if you wanted to plan for a large purchase you couldn't just set all your short-term expenses aside and say whatever i won't buy groceries this week because i want to save up for that big purchase later and at the same time you can't only focus on the short-term expenses because then you'll never have saved up enough money um what it means for a short-term plan and a long-term plan is say to yourself in X amount of time, let's call it six months, I want to have, I want to be X, Y, and Z, or I want to have accomplished X, Y, and Z in, in my inner world. Whether that means, uh, you know, you could take the analogy of, of, of weight loss, but you could also say, I want to have spent one hour more with my family a week or two hours more a week. We could call it that. And then we could set a short term plan for how I can set aside that mental energy or that, that productivity or re rearrange our productivity so that we can get to that goal in six months. And this could apply all over the place, but balancing a short-term and a long-term goal, mentally speaking, will not only mean we have the goal in mind so that it's set, 
but it will mean that we could constantly evaluate how we are reaching that goal as we go along. So it actually greatly increases our awareness of what we're after on a day-to-day basis just by having that long-term goal. Tell me, what are some of the systems that we need to put in place to reach these goals that we set for ourselves? Something I've heard over and over again from my mentors, from pre- other clinical psychologists, is your your head is a very poor place to contain the most important information. It's the most convenient one because that's where it originates. But if it stays there, it gets really crowded and really messy really fast. And something really, really effective is to write down things that are important to you, whether it's keeping, I know we've heard of the word journal before, whether it's keeping just a a free-flowing Google Doc, or even good old-fashioned pen and paper, Um, they could be even short things like a mantra, where you could say, I don't have to do what my mind is telling me to do right now. I can say no. Um, Or even long things about things things I've been holding in about relationships or about the way I feel about my body or about um, my happiness. Um, When it comes out of our brain, it becomes a real thing. That I, that I now have to deal with whether I like it or not. And even though we tend to avoid it because it's uncomfortable, because a lot of times we would love things to be less real, um, when it becomes real, it means I could address it. Um, another form of that is communicating to others, which is, uh, surprise, therapy. Communicating with other people, those issues make them real, they make them tangible, they make them, uh, it, you, you have now permission to deal with them. Um, they're not ugly anymore. They're just things. Um, and our minds tend to make things uglier or, or, or more distorted than they really are. So that's one system, a system of, of writing down issues or writing down thoughts and feelings when they, when they come about. Um, something I just uh, I touched upon a little bit ago, um, actually, you know what? A separate issue. We tend We tend to think of mental health as pretty separate from physical health and it's um very clear that the two are are very closely uh interrelated so we tend to think i could overwork myself i could overprocess all the time and i should still be perfectly healthy um but really even something as simple as if i have a crazy st- schedule let me schedule downtime whether that's sleeping one night a week that's just a good night's sleep and not binge watching or not, you know, burning the candle or even just spending three hours doing very little, just pajamas and just downtime. This is something we're trained not to do. We're trained like boring is bad in our in our world. We tend to fill everything we can with time. And and I think it's a trick that we play on ourselves that if, if I'm doing less, then I'm less productive. It's really more of a a quality thing than a quantity thing. If I'm doing more quality, productive work in less time, I will be just as, if not more productive than if I'm just trying to constantly fill my hours with things to do. I think people tend to get very down on themselves when they are finding less to do with their time. But really, if they spent certain hours doing more and certain hours doing less, it will be tremendously productive for them. You mentioned the fact that you're a religious Jew, which means you believe in a higher power. But there's a lot of people in the world today that don't believe in a higher power or are questioning if there's a higher power. What's your advice to those people in times that are potentially less fortunate? Um, 
it's a good question. Uh, I think people who even believe in a higher power struggle with these less fortunate times. No one is immune to pain and to suffering and to situations that don't seem to have any real purpose. Um, I do think if you guys have heard of Viktor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning, uh, he was not necessarily advocating believing in a god, but what he was advocating, he was a survivor of the Holocaust, and he did something quite mind-blowing, which is turning himself into his own client while he was in going through the Holocaust and observing himself, his physical state, his mental state, as he went through the worst human atrocities known to mankind, and observing what does it mean to survive in this state? What breaks people? What builds them up? What keeps them going? And uh, he found that there was this incredible importance placed on having purpose. And it wasn't a matter of defining what that purpose was or who was the one imposing that purpose on you. It was a matter of having it. Um, and if you can align yourself uh, and your goals around having an ultimate purpose, and that can be family, and that can be uh, helping others, uh, you'll find, regardless of whether you go through struggles or not, or, or what degree, your life will be immeasurably enhanced. Uh, purpose is simply hardwired into us as people. It is really what separates us from other species. As a religious person, purpose is why we were brought into this world. We each have a unique pur purpose. Um, but regardless of your belief system, or even if you don't have one, uh, it's something good and kind of like a brand to align yourself around that purpose. It will give you meaning. And if you, you know, you want to look at celebrities or, or personalities that have chased status or chased power, ultimately when they chase something that's self-serving, it, it, it almost always falls apart. You, you always end up, you know, getting to that end of the road and realizing like, what was I even doing? Um, and it's because there was no purpose there. Um, and as long as we have that, w w there is a way forward through almost anything. Ari, I know this is a difficult question and you might not even have the answer to this. And I think everyone's trying to figure this out for themselves, but how do you, how, how do you define purpose in your own life? Well, I have it a little easier because I believe there was, there is a God that laid it out for me. Um, not necessarily spelling out what my unique role is, but a framework um, for humanity and for the people that I am a part of to try and bring as much uh, good into the world. Uh, I'm constantly in a state, I'd like to think, of self-discovery. So in terms of my purpose, I think it's, it's a combination uh, of trying to become more aware of myself, my strengths, and what I'm capable of, and then at the same time, become more aware of what the people around me needs are and how those two things intersect. What more can I be doing to uh, enhance myself as a human being? And then how do those skills, strengths, talents, uh, the knowledge that I have, how can I bring that to other people to impact their lives? And I think both of those things are evolving over time in my life. I'm finding more and more things that I'm interested in, that I'm involved in. Uh, I grew up in a religious 
community and with a religious background. And most of my day I spend with completely non-religious people, which is not the way, uh, not the environment I was raised in. And I have found that it has enriched my life to understand the different ways that people live and, and how they work. And I have found that I've gained a lot from them and they've gained a lot from me. And it's it's helped me evolve as a person. And it's also helped me understand more and more what types of challenges and needs there are in the world that I can maybe um, provide answers for and uh, help people with. If we gave you a million dollars today, what would you do with it? It's the Disney World question. Um, hard to not be selfish with this one. A <laughs> million dollars. I think I would, uh, I would invest in my kids. Interesting curveball maybe for you guys. Um, one thing that, that I was taught earlier on was don't turn your kids into someone else's uh, clients, <laughs> into someone else's problem. Um, if they're your kids, then make them the best version of themselves. And uh, while we've just been talking a lot about how we can make an impact on the whole world, probably the biggest impact I can have are the people that I'm raising right now. That doesn't mean spending a whole million dollars just on them, but I think giving them some financial stability so that they can pursue, they get it, they could develop themselves as people and then can pursue opportunities, that would probably be the first place I would look to spend money. The second would probably be in my community. Um, there are certain people that I know that are struggling health-wise that could probably use the help, and there are certain services in the community specifically for immigrants, people who have come here as students, uh, as internationals, that just need more support. And I'm just thinking the investment in people who have these strengths and have these abilities, and they just need some structure and some community. So it's not just that they're happier, it's that they're now contributors instead of takers. Like I said, uh, I, I think the payoff could be tremendous there. I want to go back a couple of minutes ago to how we spoke about how boredom can actually be actually be a great place for mental space and i want to ask you how do you find your inspiration or motivation or even creativity um i think with our world being very crowded i'm going to go on a tangent here i'm i work in branding and marketing and one of the things that people talk about so much in the space is how content is king like you need a blog or else you're nobody you need you need to be pumping out if you're not posting twice then you're not you're not anybody if you post three times, right? And the word content to me is starting to become a curse word because it's almost less important about what it is or how valuable it is. It's just like that it is. And there's so many platforms that allow people to communicate that it's almost less important about what they're communicating about. And all it is is just made a lot of noise in our worlds. There's just never-ending feeds of everything. And th there's just a reality here bringing it back to your question. The reality is creativity exists where there is empty space. You don't draw pictures on top of pictures. You draw them on blank canvases. Um, and I think when so much already exists, people tend to not value their creativity and assume that whatever's already out there is, is all they need. So you don't need to make stuff on YouTube if there's already, you know, a million minutes of YouTube uploaded every whatever, every few minutes. Um, 
But the truth is, the way anything good is going to keep coming into the world is by making blank space for yourself and then trying to fill it. I, uh, with my kids, they love their tablets like any good kid in 2019. And I talked to my wife about, um, I didn't implement this yet, but I'll tell you how it goes. I want to have two tablets in the house, one for consuming and one for creating. And I want to have time limits for the consuming one and no time limits for the creating one. You could only consume, you could only watch videos or play games for a certain amount of time. You want to create, that one is all yours. Do however much creating you want. And it will teach them the value of not just having a screen to entertain yourself, but there there's something much more valuable in creating something than, than receiving something. So I like to, cre- when I have mental space and I don't have a lot of it in my day, because when I'm not working, I am definitely consumed with family. And then there are some minutes in between. Bathroom time's a great creative time. Full disclosure, a lot of good thinking gets done uh, in the bathroom. Um, but as much time as I could consciously carve to say, I'm going to do nothing. And even if it's like this bus ride, I'm not going to listen to a podcast. I'm just going to sit and think about ideas and then record them. Uh, that is incredibly valuable. And it's like a lost art. You know, what you just said really made me smile talking about your kids. Um, what's your golden rule that you teach your kids that they should live their life by? Ooh, um, just keep your eye on the ball count. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. There are probably levels to that, um, if I had to guess. A golden rule. Um, it's it's really hard to think of one. I'm thinking of probably two or three uh, swirling through my head right now. Um, maybe I'll boil it down to two. Um, one is everyone in this world deserves respect. The way that you get through this world properly is by giving everyone respect. That's not easy um, in the world we live in where you take one glance at Twitter and you don't see any respect, um, even from people that are supposed to be like their job is to respect and and protect everyone. That doesn't happen. Um, But even as a way of just progressing through life, even in a selfish way, you don't get through life without respecting other people. It just doesn't work. I place a lot of the of the successes that I've had or the doors open for me the opportunities that I had in my life to this one thing I've always tried to when I've had encounters with people to show them respect and they felt that and if they feel that then they feel like I want to be around that person again Uh, and that's incredibly important and maybe as a 1a to that is that starts with yourself and the thing perhaps worse than a child who doesn't have opportunities in their life, perhaps one degree worse than that is a child who does and doesn't think of themselves as capable, who doesn't respect themselves enough to give it a great shot or to put themselves out there. And it's really hard to build a a child up in this world when there's a lot of noise and a lot of things telling them you're really small or you're really insignificant and there's a lot more out there than you. And people do grow up wondering, like, what am I over here? What's this all about? There aren't a lot of good answers. And I think the role of me as a parent to them is to say, yeah, respect others, but you got to start with yourself. Respect yourself. Take yourself seriously. That doesn't mean be serious, but take yourself as a human being seriously. You have a lot to offer to the world, and it's your job to to recognize that. Thank you, Ari. That was amazing. My pleasure. This was fun. 
Wow, Elon, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you or someone you know wants to be featured on Turn Up Tel Aviv or one of our other podcasts, don't be a stranger. Send us an email at magic at telavivmedia.group. Yes, that's dot group, not dot com. Nu Elon, lo lachfo. Yalla bye. Thanks for listening to Turn Up Tel Aviv. For more episodes, visit turnuptelaviv.show. And for more shows and other original content about the lifestyle, culture, and people of Tel Aviv, check out telavivpresents.com.